0: Good morning, Fellowship Fayetteville. This morning we get to gather and we get to sing songs of hope about a Savior that's given us that hope. So church, let's stand together. Our call to worship this morning comes from the book of John. It says, The Word became flesh and dwelt among us. We observed His glory, the glory as the one and only Son, the Father, full of grace and truth. Indeed, we have all received grace upon grace from His fullness The law was given through Moses. Grace and truth come through Jesus Christ. Church, those of us that are in Christ can sing these songs of hope. We can reflect on the grace and truth. And if you're visiting us this morning and maybe you are searching for some type of means of lasting hope, we're happy that you're here with us this morning. And we're going to sing songs about that. And we're going to read the Word of God this morning that reflects on that, that promises that. And so church, let's sing these songs together this morning. Let's worship.
1: Oh, I've been healed by Savior And I fell from above And I've been down to the river and I ain't the same the prodigal returns that's why I'm singing all Oh, shit. My-
2: My ship. My name's Josh. Uh, I serve here on the student ministry team right next door. I work with 7th through 12th graders. If it's your first time here, we're so excited to have you guys worshiping with us today. Uh, All our hopes in Jesus, and that's why we gather every Sunday, uh, and we are so glad to have you gathered with us. Hey, I've been invited up here to give a quick student ministry update. Uh, if you don't know, every Sunday, uh, right next door, our 7th through 12th graders are worshiping and growing. And right now, we're walking through the same First Peter series you guys are walking through. Uh, we have a lot of opportunities coming up this summer, including this coming Sunday, uh, we have 9th through 12th graders heading to Timberline, which is one of our favorites. Our camp is one of our favorite moments of the year, and we are so excited about it. Uh, But one thing that I'm really, really thankful for is we don't have to turn students away ever based on cost. Uh, our congregation here is so giving and so generous that anytime a student has a need, we're able to say no. We'll find a way to make it possible for you to go. And one of the ways we do that is through our student activity fund. Uh, it's open right now. If you are interested in donating or offering and helping it possible for a student to go on a trip, on a on a camp or things like that, we have our student activity fund open here. Um, and w- if you can go to this QR code, we have opportunities for you guys to give. Um, even this week, we've had we. We've reached out and had people that have been helping with students that are going to camp. So one, thank you guys so much for how generous you are. I was talking to uh, some of the student ministry teams in Northwest Arkansas, and we're just blown away by how giving you guys are. So thank you guys so much for that. We've got other opportunities, even this week. Uh, Over, one of our strategies is cell groups, but during the summers, we know, schedules are different, and so we don't have cell groups every week. But this Wednesday, we have our FSM City Group for seventh through 12th graders. We're meeting at Wilson Park from six to eight. You don't have to sign up, your student just has to come. Uh, We'll have a time of worship, and we'll have a time of gathering and teaching. Actually, our students that have been in our Antioch program, they're gonna be the ones leading our cell groups, and so we're really excited for this, this coming Wednesday. So if you've got a session, 7th through 12th grader, even if they haven't been apart and haven't joined, please have them come join us. Uh, And speaking of cell groups, we just had sixth graders move next door. They're seventh graders now, Uh, even if it's summertime. They are now officially in our eyes, seventh graders. Um, Teachers, close your ears. Uh, School will start again and cell groups will start again soon. And so we have an opportunity for seventh graders that are wanting to get plugged into cell groups. So if your student is heading into seventh grade and hasn't been a part of it yet, or if they're in uh, eighth through 12th grade, we would love to get them plugged in coming in the fall. Uh, But we also have other needs for volunteers and serving with that. One is for cell group leaders, we always have space for people to come and invest in students. Um, Our student cell group leaders are their heroes. They are uh, bedrocks of discipleship, and we need more. And we also have needs for host homes and that kind of thing as we figure out where seventh grade groups are gonna meet. So if you're interested in all of that, please just send me an email. That's my email right there, Um, at fellowshipnwa.org. We would love to find places for our seventh graders to meet. Uh, and with that said, as we head into the rest of our uh, service, we're heading into First Peter, we're heading into First Peter 2 and talking about honoring others, honoring God and honoring authority. Uh, and with that said, the reason we're able to do that is because what Jesus has done for us, He's uh, he was dishonored so that uh, we could honor others and received great um, and honored us with his love and his life. And so i want to take a moment to pray and invite us in the rest of our service. Lord, we love you. We thank you so much for your son, for the opportunity to gather here, for your word, for your people. Uh, I pray with any burdens we might walk in with, any struggles this week, I pray that you'd give us freedom to lay those at your feet right now. And Lord, I pray you'd meet us here, your spirit would work in our lives and that you would uh, make us the people you've called us to be. And Lord, I pray more clearly today at the end of our service and our time together that we'd see you and see what you've done in our lives and what you're doing now and what you will do. Love you and thank you. It's in Jesus' name we pray, amen. Church,
0: let's stand together as we continue to worship this morning.
1: Among us let every heart receive him now where there is praise he will inhabit there will be grace and mercy all around and every burden will be lifted in. Presence. Every trophy will be laid down at his feet, there is a name that reigns above all others Jesus Christ, the king of
0: honor the emperor. This is the word of the Lord. You may be seated.
3: Well, thank you, Ryan, for sharing that text with us. Hey, fellowship. Good to see you all. It's great to be together. Hey, my name's Michael. I serve on the community team here at Fellowship Fayetteville, and it's great to be with you this morning. As you heard from the passage, as you see on the screen, we're continuing our study of the book of 1 Peter. And there's something I've noticed about this letter as we've been studying it together. It tells us some things about the Lord, and it tells us some things about ourselves. In fact, you might say it's like a mirror. It's like a mirror that allows us to see ourselves more accurately. I I was doing a little research for this morning. I was doing a little bit of reading about How much time do we spend looking in the mirror? I found a study. I guess it's reliable. It said they studied 93,000 people. And the study said we spend four hours a day looking in the mirror. That sounds like a lot. I started thinking about it. Start my day brushing my teeth, mirror. I shave. That's a few minutes in the mirror. Fix my hair. Doesn't take much, but I try to make sure it's at least all going the same way. That takes a few minutes. Then I jump in the car, I get to my first appointment. What do I do before I get out of the car? I look in the rear view to see if my cowlick's still laying down. See, y'all are laughing, but you know you check yourself in that rear view mirror. Then all throughout the day, every time I wash my hands, mirror. After lunch, broccoli check, mirror. At night, brushing my teeth again, mirror. Like, we spend a lot of time looking in that mirror, don't we? And we don't always like what we see. I've said for years. I don't understand why there's so many mirrors at the gym. If I wanted to see how I look when I'm working out, I probably wouldn't be working out. And I'm bringing this up because today. Peter's going to challenge us to look in the mirror. This morning's passage is one of those passages that it's going to be really easy for us to read it and say, you know what? They do need to do that. This is good teaching for them. But the truth is, it's not for them. It's for me. And so I'm going to ask you today to show me a little bit of grace as we work through this, because, y'all, I've been living with this passage for weeks now, and it's been super convicting. It's pushed me. And so this morning, you may feel like I'm pushing you, but what I'm really doing is doing is asking you to just go there with me. I'm asking you to just be honest as we look into the mirror that is God's word and let God's spirit go to work on us. So let's turn there together. First Peter, we're going to be in chapter two. If you're not used to turn to first Peter yet, it's near the end of the New Testament. Just go to Revelation, go back a few pages, you'll hit it. This letter, I want to remind you, is written to believers. And so this morning, I'm going to be talking primarily to believers. And so I want to say to those of you who are here who wouldn't say you're a follower of Jesus. We're glad you're here. And I would hate for you to think that this message is not for you. So whether you came here because a friend invited you or or maybe you're just trying to figure some things out about spiritual things, maybe you used to go to church and now you're back trying to reconcile some things in your mind, whatever your situation is, this message is for you, too, because here's my hope, my prayer, is that the, the picture that the Bible's going uh, to paint for us about what it really means to follow Jesus is going to be so compelling that you'll want to be a part of it, too. So here we go. Continuing our series, studying this letter that Peter wrote to a group of churches That were scattered around in what we now call the nation of Turkey. Last week, Mickey introduced us to chapter two, and Peter told us some things about ourselves. And I want us to just review verses nine and 10, they're the summary verses. I want us to remember who Peter says we are. The key words are in bold there. He says, You're chosen because it's God who gets to do the choosing, you're royal. Because God's the king, you're holy because he's declared you holy based on the work of Jesus. And maybe most significantly at the bottom there, you've received mercy. If you're a follower of Jesus, you're not gonna get what you deserve, which is death and separation from God. Instead, he's shown you mercy. So followers of Jesus, just soak in this for a second. Just soak in who God says you are because if this is not our starting place on a passage that's going to ask us to change our behavior, if we don't start here, we are guaranteed to line up in the wrong place. See, the Bible and Peter in this letter never instructs us on our behavior without first grounding us in the truth. So let's start with this in our mirror. I love what the writer Philip Yancey said about it. He said, sociologists have a theory of the looking glass self. You become what the most important person in your life, it could be your spouse, it could be your parents, it could be your employer, what the most important person in your life thinks you are. He says, how would my life change if I truly believed The Bible's astounding words about God's love for me. If I looked in the mirror and saw what God sees, think about it. What if every day I was reminded that God chose me, that He declared me to be royalty, that He declared me holy, and that I have been given mercy? In other words, I don't have to go out there and earn it, I don't have to prove anything to anybody. Because God's already told me who I am and he's already shown me mercy. It's a real game changer. Well, that's where Peter wants us as we turn to verse 11, the beginning of our passage for today. The very first word is beloved. Man, that's a powerful word. In the Greek, it means dearly loved, cherished, prized. It means the object of my affection, Now, I realize the translation you have open in front of you right now might say, dear friends, which is fine. But I think that translation obscures something. Do you remember another time in the Bible that the word beloved was used? Some of you are thinking of it right now. It's at the baptism of Jesus. God the Father speaks from heaven and he says, this is my beloved son in whom I'm well pleased. It's the same word, and then it pops up again. It's at the transfiguration. Again, it's God the Father speaking of Jesus. This time he says, this is my beloved son. Listen to him, and now Peter is using that same word. Think about it. Peter was there at the transfiguration. He heard God the Father call Jesus his beloved son, and now he uses that same word to describe you, and me, and every other believer who would read this letter. In that one word, Peter is reminding us of who God says we are. He's reminding us that when God looks at us as followers of Jesus, he doesn't see our sin. He sees the righteousness of Christ. That God sees us just like he sees his only begotten son, We, as his adopted sons and daughters, are beloved. And then he reminds us of something we've been talking about through this whole series. He says, I urge you as sojourners and exiles. And if you've been in this study with us for these last few weeks, you might have noticed he's added a word. He's been calling us exiles, and now he adds the word sojourner. And it's a word that we don't use very often. And so I've got a definition for us. A sojourner is a temporary resident, a foreigner who resides among others. It conveys both assimilation and otherness. That last line is key for us. Assimilation and otherness. I bet our international students who worship with us here can relate to this idea. See, they're from somewhere else. They're living here temporarily while they complete their education. And so they're assimilated. They speak English. They eat fried chicken at Slim's. They call the hogs. But they're not Americans. They always have that sense of otherness because when they call their parents, they speak their native language. When they eat at home, they fix food from the land they grew up in. And in their heart of hearts, they still long to go back home. They're sojourners, assimilated, but always with a sense of otherness. That's us, fellowship. We're sojourners. Yeah, we're spending a long time in this world. And we're assimilated in a lot of ways. We look like the culture around us, and yet we never lose that sense of otherness. We should never forget, this is not ultimately our home. And so Peter says, beloved, I urge you, let the fact that you're a sojourner change how you live, beginning with this, abstain from the passions of the flesh. Now, when we hear that kind of language, we immediately think about sins of the body. And yeah, that's included in this, but he's talking about something broader, He's actually using a word that Garland has talked about quite a bit in this series, in our Ephesian series, and that word is epithemeo. It means over desiring. The idea Peter has here is that our desire for something begins to eclipse our desire for the Lord. It usually starts with a healthy desire. Right, it's good to desire to be loved and be in relationship. It's good to desire to provide for our family. It's good to desire to achieve at our job. But Peter says, abstain from over-desiring, making that thing the ultimate, where our desire for that relationship, for that money, for that status, for whatever it is, becomes greater than our desire for God because look what Peter says it does. It wages war against our soul. It begins to corrode the most important part of ourselves, the deepest part of ourself that connects with the Lord and lives forever. Fight that, he says, and then he gives us what we are to do instead, the positive side. Keep your conduct among the Gentiles honorable. When he says Gentiles, he just means the world that you live in. They live in Turkey, they're surrounded by Gentiles. He means the watching world full of non believers, exactly like the world we live in. Let them see your life, he says. That word conduct, the manner of your life, let it be honorable. That Greek word also means beautiful. Isn't that compelling? It's the same word Jesus used when the woman broke the alabaster flask and anointed him with the expensive oil. Jesus said, she's done something for me that's beautiful. Peter uses that same word. Jesus' followers live a life that the non-believing world will look at and say, that's beautiful. That's a beautiful life. Because look what Peter says that can result in. When they speak against you as evildoers, He doesn't say if they criticize you and accuse you. He says when, when they speak against you, they'll give God glory at the day of visitation. Yes, non-believers will speak against believers. They will criticize people who are following Jesus. But what Peter's saying is if we live a life that's beautiful, they'll have to admit we do a lot of good. They'll be forced to say, I don't like what they believe. I don't agree with what they teach. But man, they're great next door neighbors. Man, they really do care for people. They really do make our community better. And some of them, Peter says, will give God glory. Eventually, they'll be forced to admit that the beautiful life, the Jesus following life is the better life and they'll join us in worshiping the Lord. Okay, I hope you're tracking with me. I hope in your mind and in your heart you're saying, yes, that's what I want. I want this beautiful, God-glorifying, Jesus-exalting life. How do I live it? Well, Peter says, I'm glad you asked because he's going to unpack the beautiful life of the exile in three distinct sections. For us, it's three weeks, including today, of our teaching series. And it all comes down to the word submit. He's gonna call us to submit. This morning, we're gonna look at what it means to submit in the context of our life as citizens. Next week, Peter's gonna use servant master language. For us, it looks more like boss worker, but submitting to authority in the workplace. And then two weeks from this morning, We'll look at what it means to live in mutual submission in the context of marriage. Peter's saying to us, You want to live a beautiful life that's attractive to non believers? Well, it's going to require intentional submission. So it's time to look in the mirror, y'all, beginning in verse 13. Be subject for the Lord's sake to every human institution, whether it be to the emperor as supreme or to governors as sent by him to punish those who do evil and praise those who do good. He's calling us to submit to the government. And the Bible's clear that while governments are established by people and run by people, they do so only because God allows them to Romans 13 is a great cross-reference. Paul unpacks this a lot more. If you want to jot that down, look at that later. But he tells us there that God himself has given the government their authority. That's why Peter says, for the Lord's sake. And here's where this gets convicting. Like I said, I've been living with this for weeks because we all have this little guy inside of us. I call him our inner lawyer, He's always arguing on my behalf. My inner lawyer is always saying, anybody would do what you did. Of course you said that. In the case of obeying the government, my inner lawyer says everybody drives that speed. And as soon as I read this passage, the inner lawyer starts arguing on my behalf, and he says, Well, yeah, I honor the government, but not that guy. God doesn't want me to honor this leader. I don't think God would expect me to honor a leader who says what they say, does what they do, stands for what they stand for. But wait a second. Who does Peter have in mind? Inner lawyer says, not somebody as bad as who you're being called to follow. Well, let's think about it. He's talking about this guy, the guy on your left who looks like Jonah Hill and apparently has a pet tiger. That's Nero. Nero was likely the emperor when Peter wrote this. You think the leader you're being called to follow is bad? Let me give you just a short list of some of Nero's stuff. He murdered many of his close family members. He set a new low for debauchery and sin in the Roman palace, including incest. And presumably that fire that you see behind him is Rome burning to the ground, which many believe he allowed to happen to suit his own ends. And then he blamed the Christians who had nothing to do with it. He scapegoated Christians and had many of them executed in the most gruesome and horrible ways you can imagine. So whatever the leader that you and I don't want to honor does... They can't hold a candle, pun intended, to this guy. Or how about this guy over here? You might not recognize him, but you know his name, Pontius Pilate. Peter says governors sent by him. Pilate was a governor, and he sat by and watched the largest miscarriage of justice in human history unfold as the sinless son of God was sentenced to die on a Roman cross. So we cannot say the leaders that we are called to follow today are worse than these guys. And so we're called to voluntarily submit to them. Why? Because it's God's will. It says this is God's will, that by doing good, you should put to silence the ignorance of foolish people. Live as people who are free. Not using your freedom as a cover up for evil, but living as servants of God. This is the heart of our passage. We live this beautiful life of voluntary submission to the government, even when it's unjust. Even when we don't agree with what the government's doing, or we don't agree with the people who are in charge, so that non believers look at our lives and they don't have anything to say against us. Peter says, We're free. And as Americans, we read that as free to do whatever we want. But Peter's actually calling us to a higher freedom. Not free to do what I want. Not free to get as much as I can. Not free to insist on my rights. No, he says free, look at it, to be a servant of God. Once again, Peter's taking two things that don't go together and putting them together. Elect, exile, beloved, sojourner. Now free, servant. So how am I free if I'm a servant? Oh, I'm free from the petty tyranny of cultural expectations. I'm free from having to keep up with the culture around me. I'm free from always having to have more. I'm free from worrying about what people think of me. I'm free from people-pleasing and trying to impress because I'm a servant of God. And Peter's going to summarize what that freedom looks like in verse 17. Honor everyone. Love the brotherhood. Fear God. Honor the emperor. That word honor, it means Value, show the appropriate respect and value everyone because they're made in God's image. I want you to think for a second about somebody, you know, that shows everybody they encounter a lot of respect. Think about a person that you would say they treat others with a lot of respect. My guess is that person you have in mind. They receive a lot of respect back. Back. Jesus said, treat people the way you would wanna be treated. Peter says it simply, honor everyone. And then he says, love the brotherhood. He's referring here to our family of faith, to our church. Jesus said, they'll know you belong to me by what? Your love for each other. And so we love our brothers and sisters in Christ not just with words, not just with attitude, but with action. And then he says, fear God. Notice he doesn't say fear people. He says, live with this reverent fear of God. We're ultimately in submission to him. And it's because of our submission to him, we're free to live as his servants, that we can voluntarily submit to others so that they might see him through us. And then, there it is again, he doesn't want us to miss it, honor the emperor. Like I said, I gotta look in the mirror because I have to confess to y'all, I have not done a good job with that. When I'm with my friends and I know all of y'all can't hear me, the things I post online the things I retweet. It doesn't mean I don't have opinions. It doesn't mean I don't speak up for what the Bible says, but it does mean that even people I don't like and I don't agree with, I treat as someone made in God's image. And I will admit to y'all, I have become desensitized to mocking our leaders. And when I join in on that, I don't look like an elect exile. I don't look like a sojourner. I look exactly like the culture around me. I'm overly assimilated. I need to look different, as Peter says, for the Lord's sake. And look how comprehensive verse 17 actually is. This beautiful life of the exile means respecting and valuing people everyone, even those who slander us, even those who openly mock us. It means loving my family of faith, the people in my church community. It means honoring God above everybody else and everything else in my spiritual life. And it means honoring the governor, the government in my political or civic life. And y'all, this is really hard to do because it requires us to maintain this balance. It requires us to be both offensive to our culture because of what we believe and attractive because of how we live at the same time. As usual, Tim Keller says it best. Look at this quote from the late Dr. Keller. Man, we're going to miss him. He says, if you're living the life of an exile, if you're living it as you should, that means you will be extraordinarily offensive and incredibly attractive at the same time. You won't just turn people off. You'll attract them. And you won't just attract them. You'll also turn them off at the same time. You'll be outrageous And compelling at the same time. See, the gospel message itself is offensive to American culture because the gospel starts with the message that you can't do it. Americans love to believe the truth is inside you, your highest value is to to find who you really are and, and live your truth. And the Bible says, no, no, you can't fix yourself. In fact, You need help to come in from the outside to fix what's broken in you. That goes against our culture. And the Bible pushes back against our culture in many ways. Our culture says individuality. The Bible says we're all in this together. The Bible, the culture says truth's relative. The Bible says, no, some things are right and some things are wrong in the eyes of our creator God. The Bible offends cultural norms by making exclusive truth claims about Jesus as the only way to heaven. And when we lean into those things, when we cling to what the Bible says, we become offensive to some. But according to the passage, we can also be attractive with our warmth, our kindness, our winsomeness, our humility, our genuine concern for others, our love for people that our society says are unlovable, when we value people that our society pushes to the margins, it makes us strangely attractive to the watching world. And that's the beautiful life of the exile. And so in this talk, Keller goes on to unpack this a little bit. And he says, if you're only offensive, If you're only offensive to the watching world, you never attract people. You're not really living as the elect exile. You're not really seeking the good of the culture that God has you in. In fact, you might just like telling people off. And it could be that instead of being Christ-like, you're actually just being self-righteous. But on the other hand, Keller says, if you're only attractive... If your soft heart and your compassion for non-believers and the things they're struggling with draw people to you. But you never offend them. You never turn them off. It might be. That you're just going along with our culture. It could be that rather than being Christ like you're afraid. You're afraid to speak up against the prevailing culture. And so living as an elect exile, living as a sojourner, living this beautiful life means always being in balance of offending and attracting at the same time. All right, let's put some flesh on it. Let me give you an example. I have some really good friends, married couple. They have kids. They're serious about their faith. They are following Jesus. And they live next door to two ladies who are married to each other. Now, those women know what my friends believe the Bible says about sex and marriage, that it's reserved for one man and one woman in a covenant marriage before the Lord. But this winter, when we got our big snow, you know what my friend did? He went next door and shoveled their driveway. And they really appreciated it. And it started this neighborly relationship And now that couple next door have experienced a profound tragedy in their life. And my friends have built a relationship and they're there for them. They're there to weep with them. They're there to love them. They're there to show them Jesus. What if people who disagree with us, on issues of human sexuality would have to say, you know what, I don't agree with their views, but they have loved me well. They were there for me at a really hard time in our life. What if we, as followers of Jesus, instead of being known for what we're angry about, we're known for the joy that we have in our own Christ-honoring marriages? What if our winsome lives have just caring for people, honoring everyone was so attractive to them that it started to eclipse how offended they are at what we believe the Bible teaches about sex and marriage. Could God work in that space? I think he can. I think he does. That's not the only issue where it applies. What if people who disagree with what we as a church believe about the rights of the unborn had to say about us. You know what? I don't agree with them and what they believe and what they say about the unborn. But man, they love those mothers going through a crisis pregnancy well. What if they were forced to say they really do take in those children? They love the ones that society would deem as unwanted. Could the Lord work in that space where we're being simultaneously offensive and attractive? Oh, I think he can, and I think Peter says he does because Peter says in the end, they will glorify God because of the manner of our life. Now, none of us are perfect at this. I mean, look at this list. None of us are obeying these directives, these instructions perfectly, and so this is how I want to wrap up our teaching time and transition into a time of worship through song, I want us to just confess together that none of us are batting 1,000 on this. None of us know perfectly when to be offensive and when to be attractive. And so I'm going to invite you to just bow your head right now. And I want to just lead us through a time where you can talk to the Lord and, and just confess where all of us, me included, man, I've been looking in the mirror on this. We'll admit that we haven't always done this perfectly. And in just a moment, we're going to participate in our corporate confession we do every week as we confess with our mouths and admit that we need Jesus. And so, Lord, we confess we have failed to honor everyone. Lord, we confess to you there have been people that you have brought across our path that we have not accurately reflected Jesus to We've walked in the flesh. Lord, we confess that to you right now. Lord, we confess that we have not loved our brothers and sisters in Christ with your love all the time as you would have us to. Lord, not just in this room, but outside this church, other brothers and sisters in Christ, sometimes they don't see things exactly the way we do. We haven't always loved them well. We confess that. And Lord, we have not perfectly feared you. We've allowed other things to crowd you out of that space in our heart that only you have a rightful place to be. And so we confess that we've not done that well. And then Lord, I will confess, I've not honored those you've put in authority over me with my mouth, with my thoughts. Lord, may we confess together that none of us have walked in perfect obedience when it comes to submitting to those in authority. Well fellowship, if you'll lift your eyes to the screen, I want to take a moment and confess together. Heavenly Father, have mercy on us. We have not loved you as you deserve. We have not loved our neighbor as ourselves. We have not obeyed you as we should. Lord, forgive us our sin. We are in need of a savior. The Bible says that it's good to confess, but the Bible doesn't leave us there. Remember where we began this morning. Remember who we are in Christ, chosen, royal, holy. We've received mercy. See, the time of confession isn't designed just to break us down. It's designed to point us to our need for Jesus. Jesus lived the perfect life we could never live. And he offers that righteousness to us as a free gift. Peter's gonna remind us in next week's passage that Christ suffered once for sin, the righteous for the unrighteous, that he might bring us to God, being put to death in the flesh, but made alive in the spirit. So fellowship, let's stand and let's declare what we know to be true, that in Jesus we find Forgiveness, church. Believe the good news. Jesus died for us. Jesus rose for us. Jesus intercedes for us. In Him, we are a new creation. In Him, we have forgiveness of sin. In Him, we have a Savior. To God be the glory forever and ever. Amen. Praise the.
1: This house.
4: i oh.
0: Adoration that we can give you that you don't deserve more. And so, Father, as we sing these songs this morning, as we reflect on your word, would you continue to transform our hearts? Would you make overflow in our hearts that we respond in one way, and that's in worship and submission to you because you have the better life for us. God, you, your story is the best story. And you brought us into that. And so, Father, may we follow you in knowing that is the truth and believing that and trusting in that and ultimately fulfilling joy, filling joy in that, God. God, we love you. As we sing this song, church, let's encourage one another as we sing over each other.
1: Press on, press on. We're safe in his own troubles and trials come up. i uh-huh.
0: on your right. If you'd like to pray with someone, if you'd like to take communion, it's available in there. Have a great week of
4: worship. We'll see you next